Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. Today, we're bringing you another episode that's a little bit off of our ordinary guest list. Dr. Catherine Ellis is an occupational therapist specializing in sex and intimacy. She worked at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center for nearly a decade, treating injured veterans and often working with their significant others. She's the founder and CEO of the Institute for Sex, Intimacy, and Occupational Therapy, a continuing education company for occupational therapy professionals. She is the co-author of Sex and Intimacy for Wounded Veterans, A Guide to Embracing Change. I was introduced to Dr. Cates as she goes by a friend who had been wounded and spent a bit of his time at Walter Reed. Her book became a conversation starter one day, and then a few years later, the topic came up again when he was listening to an episode of the podcast. I was able to meet Dr. Cates on a recent road trip, and we were able to sit down to chat at her office in Delaware. Porn is very unrealistic. Um, so pro wrestling. It's like pro wrestling, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that that does create a lot of problems if people are expecting that in their sexual life. And even just like a great example being like, you can watch the porn. If you don't like it, you switch to the next porn. If you don't like it, you switch to the next one. And that right. could take 15 seconds for you to decide that you don't like that. Yeah. And we very much so cannot do that with partners. Every once in a while, we want to be able to bring you an episode just like this, something that does a little more focus on a topic rather than a person. And while we do talk about Kate's life and work, she lets the subject matter shine through. If you're listening along, you can check out her websites and her social media by looking at this episode's notes in the RSS feed in your podcast player. Today's episode will also be brought to you ad-free because we feel like it. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, Please check out the show links in our RSS feed or head over to thankyounowwhat.com. If you want more ad-free episodes, uh, you can also go to join our most beloved list of Patreon subscribers. So please go to patreon.com slash thankyounowwhat. You can find that link on our website. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. All right, so we started talking about let's not talk about anything till we turn the recorder on, so it's natural. But <laughs> people who listen to a lot of episodes might know the background to why we're talking today. So I'll give a kind of brief recap of that, and then we can start getting into some background and then get into yeah. the good stuff. Cool. So it was episode 15. I was talking with uh, a, a guy, Chase. I would call him buddy now, but didn't know him back then. He got hit in an IED in Fallujah, almost lost his arm. Uh, he still has his arm, but he was in Walter Reed for a long time. He was talking about just how immature young soldiers are in any context, even when they're facing like, um, you know, a pretty serious injury or life and death and they can just always find humor in something and he brought up a story of a guy who was trying to pick out a prosthetic penis and the kid was like 19 years old and they start joking like should i get a big black penis and it's like you can never take the marine out of the situation especially at that age and then i brought up that i had a, a buddy who i don't know if he's comfortable with his name so we won't say it but uh you know i was visiting him in walter reed um several years ago and he got pretty badly injured uh medically retired and he picked up this book 
and he said, look at this book I got. And the book is quite a conversation starter. And you happen to have written it. So can we just talk about the book first and then maybe start with your history and why we're here today? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so the book was a project when I started at Walter Reed, you know, and we'll go into the history later, but at, at some point I found myself the go-to like point of contact for talking about sex and intimacy with service members. And there was a social worker there who um, to this day is a great friend of mine and you know, she was also really interested in talking about sex with service members. And um, she had suggested to me, because she was finding that a lot of her patients were having difficulties with positioning after their injury. Um, you know, they like <clears throat> couldn't get on top after like losing both their legs or like they had an X fix on their leg. And they were like, you know, I just can't like effing move around with this X fix. And, yeah. um, you know, sex is a very like you know, we're moving around quite a bit. Right. And so um, she pulled me into the office and she was like, you know, do you think you could make a PowerPoint <laughs> for this? Yeah. And um, like a PowerPoint to like present to the service members at Walter Reed on like how to have sex. And um, I kind of laughed and I was like, yeah, because I'm just sort of like, oh, great idea. Like, and I run with it. And that's kind of what happened. But the power, I was like, yeah, we're going to make a PowerPoint. And then I realized like very quickly that, that maybe I should think about like a manual or something that I could like print out and, you know, just like print out on like the, the printer and, and give it to people that they could read on their own or like, you know, in with their partner, not in the middle of like the physical therapy clinic, like a, right, <laughs> a right. PowerPoint presentation. So and then it sort of turned into a manual. And then I was really fortunate enough to um, connect with the Semper Max Foundation, who would get grants from the Yellow Ribbon. No, no, the um, Bob Woodruff Foundation. And so then they got a grant from the Bob Woodruff Foundation and funded it to actually go into a production of a book and a like a hard copy manual that I would give people. And that's where... I connected with the illustrator because I think as I remember you were saying that the, you, the, you and your friend were like looking through the illustrations. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the first time you see these illustrations, you just as like a, you know, Im still mostly immature man with another immature male friend, you just like flip through the pictures and, uh, but I don't want to make light of it because it's important. It's very important work, but it's just something that you had never seen. Right, right. Right. That's it. Right. And so that's the reason why we actually did the images was because we we don't have, you know, the images that we have of people having sex, even the educational ones. Right. It's like these bodies that are like hyperbolic. They're these like perfect bodies. And, um, you know, very rarely do we see people with disabilities in these images. And so um, we, we needed to make images ourselves. And the um, woman that ran the Semper Max Foundation, her husband had had a brain injury. And so her first project was actually a children's book called My Daddy is a Hero. And the illustrator wrote, did illustrations for that book, which is funny because then the second project that that illustrator had with Semper Max Foundation was um, my images. <laughs> so this went from a children's yeah. book to... Correct. It's like right. 
Picasso meets porn. Okay. So <laughs> nice. it's like very, um, yeah. So it was funny because I would send her, like when I was explaining to her what the images needed to look like, there were times when she was just like, I am not getting it. And so I would have to send her a video of like me with a walker in the like, okay. in the like occupational therapy, like durable medical equipment, um, closet <laughs> of like me with the, the walker or like on the mat, like doing these motions and kind of like dictating what's, what's going on. And she found that very helpful. <laughs> okay. Did you erase all traces of the multimedia <laughs> that went from your email to hers? I, I actually probably did, but I just wish that I, could still have them and find them somewhere. They'd be like gold. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I actually still work with her. She's amazing. And, you know, since that project, I've, I've taken on other projects and we've gone through like four different iterations of images that she's done. So similar on later projects or how did her work evolve with mm -hmm. yours? Yeah, well, so it really just evolved because at the very beginning of my career, I started with the kind of combat injured service member. And so then um, even at my time at Walter Reed, you know, that continued to grow and work with people of all ages. And so I just needed, and, and two, I separate, you know, from that I had an education company that I was growing and it needed to just be more inclusive of, of all of the, the people, you know, all of people as sexual beings. So yeah. That's how it, it kind of grew with me. Uh, what education company? I um, have, it's the Institute for Sex Intimacy and Occupational Therapy. And that's a continuing ed company that I have where I create courses for other occupational therapists to learn about sex and intimacy and how to do it in clinical practice. Okay. So it's for providers. Yeah, it's for providers. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Well, before getting to your history, Occupational therapy, I think most people are going to try to equate it or differentiate it from physical therapy. So one, is that a good place to start for people who might be slightly familiar or would it be just better to start from <laughs> defining it outright? I think defining it outright is good. You know, some occupational therapists work in rehabilitation, which is where we'll commonly work with physical therapists. But occupational therapy focuses on helping people getting back to meaningful life activities. And so we call that occupations. So anything that we engage, um, how we occupy our time influences our quality of life. And so really focus on like the doing. Um, and, and it's funny because like the sex, it's like doing it, <laughs> but right. So people we, don't say like, uh, you work with people whose occupation is sex. No, do we, they don't. But like professional lingo would yeah. be um, sexual occupations. But that's just per, that's being occupied with sex, um, like the act of doing. <laughs> so it would be more like um, the occupation of sex. Okay. Yes. I mean, but again, that's like the kind of like using the professional jargon. So really, you know, it's like any kind of activity that we do that we find meaningful. So it can be like bathing, dressing the kind of basic daily life activities. And then we can move into, you know, like working, exercising, doing your hobbies, being in the community, volunteering. It's like cooking, yeah. anything that people do 
to occupy their time. So there's a joke because, um, again, this is kind of like professional jargon, but we have activities of daily living and yeah. those are the basic. I heard you say ADL. Yes. Is that, yes. Uh, okay. Activities of daily living and under those are bathing, dressing, going to the bathroom, eating, but like grooming and sex. And so what I tell clients all the time say like, well, I'd love for it to be every day. Yeah, <laughs> They're like, that's a daily life activity. And I'm like, that's what we're getting to at. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay. And when did you first know that you want to move into this field? Or what's your personal history with OT before getting into yeah. specialty? I knew from a super early age. I was... Um, I was in the eighth grade and I went to, I did my science fair project on massage therapy, um, which was kind of interesting looking back because I went How to- How does an eighth grader think uh, about that? I know, right? Because mine was like, <laughs> you know, the solar system with styrofoam balls. Yeah. So, well, so mine was massage therapy and I went to a Catholic school and um, the science, this was a science fair project. And as a part of the group, I had every, I had everyone sit in a circle and like rub each other's backs, <laughs> which like a bunch of eighth graders yeah. in Catholic school, nothing could go yeah, wrong. Like yeah. a little massage circle there. Okay. And it's probably the most like they'd ever let anyone touch each other in the school. And so it's, it's funny in hindsight, cause like, you know, now knowing now what I do, you know, I'm obviously like, I, there's a, I think that touch has a lot of power and, um, you know, the way we touch each other is very, um, like influential to the sexual experience. So anyway, so I did it on massage therapy and I wanted to be a massage therapist and my mother, um, you know, we like looked into massage therapy and it just, then we looked into other things. And then as soon as I saw, you know, an adjacent career around occupational therapy, I, I fell in love and I just thought it was the coolest thing to, help people kind of like analyze the barriers to what they want to go, like the activities that they want to go engage in and then break down those barriers and problem solve and help people, you know, re-engage in the, or engage for the first time in activities that they really want to. So what's the path like once you identify that? Like educational, vocational, professional? Yeah. So, um, we do a lot of volunteering, uh, or sorry, you do like observation hours. Um, you know, that's what I did in high school. Just make sure that you like it so that you can, um, that's required to get into a grad program. So I did an undergrad in health sciences and then a grad program in a master's of occupational therapy. Okay. Then going from there to having your specialty, Mm. where did you start out in the field? And then does everybody tend to specialize or was there a moment where you said, oh, this is going to be my thing? No, not everybody specializes. And I, you know, so I had a master's degree and then my very first job was at Walter Reed. And I was always interested in sex and intimacy in college. And I noticed like in my professor, in my curriculum, they didn't really address it that much. And I'll, I'll take that back. Actually, I was more intrigued by it because there was like a silence around it. So I can't say that I was like in college, you know, going to like hosting sex toy parties and like, you know, I, I just was more intrigued by it because I was like, all right, this is something that we all do. And, um, 
this is all, this has been like sidebar, a kind of meaningful and positive thing in my life. And it's just like, why, why is it omitted, omitted? And why are people not talking about it? Was it considered uh, an activity of daily life at that point? Or is that something that's happened since? Yeah, no, it was. It's, it, it's been in our scope of practice since, um, well, I, I can't, I don't know how long it has been in our scope of practice, but I will say that we have research from 1970 in occupational therapy literature saying that this topic is under addressed and the curriculum needs to address it. Mm. Um, and the research current, like the current research, you know, t- 1970 to 2018, uh, it's not much different. Um Yeah. So (laughs) I remember doing some research on something I had to know for work. And the research that I found was just a statement that says that this has not been researched. Yeah. And I thought, like, (laughs) okay. That's like putting out, like, I don't know, putting out a sign that just says, like, you know, I don't know. It's something funnier than I can think of right now. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, We read like the the study in two thousand or nineteen seventy was like recommend spending more than three hours on this per curriculum, and then in two thousand you know eighteen someone redid a study, and you know we've moved from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree, and we still spend three hours on average per program per curriculum. Like three credits or like three hours, hours total. And actually, so like the length of our recording session, yes. Okay, so (laughs) people can just listen to the podcast, like continuing education. Correct. Okay. Um, or check out my website because that's also continuing ed. All right, cool. Well, we don't offer credits. I got to talk to Ben about how we be able to do that, but I don't know yet. Um, well, we can talk actually. Okay. (laughs) I'm a accredited provider. Um, Great. All right, listen. So when I was in OT school, I'm going to tell you the three hours that I got. Okay. It was wild. So I cannot believe I went into this knowing what my program, how my program addressed it. But is this the Orange's story? Yes. Okay. Have you heard it? I listened to your other podcast episodes. So they... I can scratch that off my to talk about list. (laughs) Um, here it is. Buckle up. So they brought in another OT to, to like talk about sex and intimacy with her clients. And she brought us oranges and there was like 20 people in my class and she brought everybody an orange and she gave everybody an orange and she guided us through this <laughs> like sensual, sexual meditation of like, like mindfulness meditation with the orange. So it started out like close your eyes and like feel the orange, <laughs> feel the orange all around. And then it was like, um, like scratch the orange and now smell the orange. And then it was like peel just a little bit off and now suck the orange. Like it was so crazy. All right. It sounds like you're getting your sommelier (laughs) test though. Almost, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I mean, this whole thing was like 20 minutes long. It was like extremely erotic. It, It was so erotic. Like everyone in the class was turned on. People didn't really know what to do because we're all with our like buds. It's like 20 people in a room that you like yeah. are in grad school with. And now like we're all turned on and like nobody, 
the guys don't want to stand up. Like, it's weird. And right. um, So this lady was pretty effective. <laughs> and the funny, I think there's people in the class that, like, maybe that was like their fir- their actual first sexual experience was like with the orange so it was just wild right yeah. and um i lost I, my cherry to an orange yeah yeah uh, it was crazy nice. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so she was like why do you think we had you do that and um i didn't know what to say <laughs> someone rose their hand and said something they kind of nailed it they were like um to show you that sex is like is more than just like penetration or that like show you the kind of that you sh- you should or you can use all of your sensory systems to engage in a sexual way which that's all that's all very true and yeah. that's great uh, i just like you know there's so many um we just like didn't know what to expect so we got all that in one and that's so yeah so that's what my <laughs> That's what I got in OT school. Okay. So you had a whole <laughs> class of people fucking an orange. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yes. Great. So I don't know how that didn't like turn me off entirely from doing this. And it's actually kind of like a memory I sort of forgot. And then like I got two years into doing this work and I was like became an educator myself. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was doing this work clinically and then also being an educator. And I was like, hold the phone. Like, that is how this began for me. Like, okay, I can tell you I've never once thought to, like, bring an orange into, like, Walter Reed's social work department. And, yeah. like, so. So the, uh, the lesson that your classmate summarized, just because you're, you know, a clinician and an educator, can you give like a clinical definition. Uh, well, I don't know if this is the right word, but like a definition of sex mm. and a definition of intimacy. Yeah. So I would say sex would be a, like any activity that we engage in that elicits a erotic or an arouse or a sexual response in the brain. I know people, they don't like to use like the same word to describe the word, right? But right, it's like right. we're getting at a cognitive it's eliciting a response in the brain that is um, sexually pleasurable. And and then um, intimacy would be more like the engaging in a social interaction with yourself or another person or group of people that helps build um, like connection and belonging and understanding and mutual respect. But I think that the, the part is around like feeling that that understanding piece is huge. It builds security and familiarity. That's intimacy. So you know what to expect. Okay. Sex, on the other hand, sex, eroticism, sexuality is more around like the, that sort of cognitive, pleasurable f- feeling. Um, but we want that to be uh, more kind of less familiar, exciting, um, something new every time a little bit a little bit something new every time okay so they are i think it's cool to look at them in contrast or opposites because immediately you start to think okay when do we have one without the other and then when do we have both together or when is one not appropriate with the other yeah so that's really that's up for some debate because you Um, have an intimate discussion among you know with just people. And, yeah. Right. I mean, I would, I view them as separate swim lanes entirely. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, entirely separate swim lanes. They, they do, when we have a certain degree of intimacy, it makes eroticism easier. 
because you're and, not guarded or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And okay. interesting food for thought here, right? Some yeah. people think of intimacy and certainly like the couples that I worked with most frequently are they, they're kind of in longer term relationships where they have built that, that degree of intimacy or, um, but we can, let's just take a casual sex, right? So like you have two people coming together. Intimacy in that scenario could be like just communication. Like, Hey, um, you know, I don't have an STD, right? Like, okay. <laughs> um, how do you like to orgasm? You know, what is it that you, what takes technique, you know, yeah. What gets you to come? Um, so we can have intimacy even in casual relationships. Um, but even like, let's just say if those conversations didn't happen, um, sometimes that sex might not be so, it, it could be enhanced if you have those conversations. Right. So even though they're separate swim lanes, they do the intimacy side or that kind of like um, trust really uh, can help springboard the sexual experience. Now, what happens with like long-term uh, relationships and what I see often is that people build a lot of the intimacy and that's great and we need that. And to some degree, that intimacy and that connection does help us move into this, like enhance the sexual realm. However, when couples have a tr- such a high degree of intimacy, right, where it's like full security, um, like, I don't even have to ask you to pick up milk from the store because I know that you will. And like, yeah. you know, like we're teammates, we're best friends, we're teammates. Um, a lot of the dynamics I saw um, through my work with service members was there was oftentimes, I mean, th- that that relationship dynamic was very, very unique, right? You had an injured, you know, service member and the spouse would often be oftentimes in the role of like supporting that person in their recovery. And so it builds a lot of intimacy. And what I found was that, um, and is, is if you get so much intimacy, it actually makes it harder to transition into the erotic space. So there's this like kind of middle ground that works best. Okay. How does it make it hard to transfer into the erotic space? You know, um, I think a lot of reasons, a few reasons. It's not that I don't understand is I don't want to speculate the answer. I want to let you as the expert tell me. So a few reasons. One is when you just think of like the, and this is, you know, kind of occupational therapy language here, but when you think of like the activity demands or the dynamic of a sexual space, right? It's, um, you want it to be, um, you want there to be a little bit of like unfamiliarity there, right? We call that like the spice, you know, yeah. excitement, a, a yearning, right? Like a desire. Am I going to get it? I don't know. Oh, I got it. Yes. You know, nice. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> we all yeah. know that, you know, but intimacy is like, I got it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. intimacy is like, they got my back. Cool. Yeah. Like, so there's just this like very high degree of, um, of knowing and that familiarity and that security. So it just makes it kind of harder. It doesn't make it impossible. It just makes it harder to transition into that erotic space. So that's one. Um, Do you think, uh, uh, or uh, don't let me stop you if yeah. you were on a roll, but uh, <laughs> I want to stop talking about like pandemic related topics, mm. but uh, yeah, yeah what the, happened? the look you just gave me. Actually, you know, this is a great kind of, this is kind of com- comparable to a lot of the service members who would get injured 
transport to Bethesda, Maryland, like leave their lives, leave their homes and live in the dorms, like the barracks with their partner. And you got like mom (laughs) in the like, or your kids, right? In the like apartment room or the bedroom next door. You know, the, the, the rooms at Walter Reed were like two rooms adjoined by a tiny, tiny living space and kitchen. So very, very similar dynamic there. Yeah, it's um, a straight up barracks, right? It's a barracks, yeah. 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 And like you're, so you're with your spouse, your partner all day, you're stressed out, then you can't leave. <laughs> so it's like a very similar dynamic. So right. what I, what I, what happened a lot um, is sex and eroticism essentially declined. It's hard to think about it like this, like it's, it's, how can you want something that you have like all day, you know? So eroticism and sexual desire is really facilitated when people actually have space from each other and they're parted from each other a little bit. Um, even just like someone goes to an appointment by themselves, right? Like we're not talking like someone goes on vacation for two weeks. Um, although that can probably help in some scenarios, so within that space, we start to like imagine our partners and we imagine them fondly. And so space, like, like fire needs air is another analogy I love. So fire needs air. And when people are with each other all day long, they kind of, there's no yearning for them because they're there and there's not, um, you know, it's a lot of monotony and a lot of structure and a lot of the same every day and novelty, whether it's in our sex lives or like just generally in our lives, like novelty fuels desire as well. Is this why they have the uh, TV episode where the guy goes to pick up his own wife at a bar and they imagine they don't know each other? Yeah, exactly. Like anything that creates a novelty and play. I mean, that that to me is... Um, that's a form of play, adult play. And as adults, like, you know, we don't, we don't play much (laughs) as adults or, yeah, I mean, creating those sort of like dynamics or something to laugh about or something that just feels like a little bit different can help, um, fuel that sexual desire. So during the pandemic or during, you know, people having periods of, of recovery, like after an injury, um, that dynamic is kind of gone. I think you uh, told me a story about a guy taking a shower, mm. and mm-hmm. this was this was also something that influenced you to yeah. just push into this field too. Yeah. So this is now you know. So now I've left um, OT school. I'm working at Walter Reed. Which, but uh, how do you get a first job at Walter Reed straight out of school? You know what? That is a great question. Um, I, I, I feel very fortunate, certainly. So this was in 2011 when right before Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval bracked over. And so I had, um, you know, wanted to work. I, I had thought I wanted to work with service members. And honestly, I really was like not fully in the know about like the difference between veterans and service members. And, and so uh, a peer of mine, or uh, actually a supervisor of mine, during one of my field works, I did a field work at the Perry Point VA, which is right off 95 here. Um, and she suggested that because I said, like, I want, I, I, you know, really enjoyed working with these folks and would love to continue doing that. And she was like, Well, why don't you? I know someone that works at Bethesda Naval, 
And I think the, the sort of name of Walter Reed, people just didn't know Bethesda Naval as much. So maybe it was less competitive. I don't know. But I cold called the clinic, like left a voicemail. And the, <laughs> um, the chief called me up and was like, how did you find us? We need you. <laughs> like I barely interviewed. I think they were just like, it was contractor position. Like we need bodies. <laughs> like, yeah. So it just, it all worked out really well. And I, I got a contract position and then that was in June. And then in August, Walter Reed merged over. So I started out at, um, Bethesda Naval. So sort of, uh, you know, luck of the draw when they, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Oh, I think okay. so. Um, you know, definitely like it makes you think about just some of the advice people tell you, you know, that you take and you're like, wow, that just like changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't really know that's going to go in that direction, but it did. So, so there I, there I am. It's 2011. Um, we've got like tons of service members coming in. I mean, I'm very like, this is a very new world for me. You know, it's like totally deer, deer in the heads, like sink or swim, sink right. or swim, like the whole time. Um, <clears throat> is it particularly uh, more difficult being there? Because like you just see so many different types of injuries that you wouldn't see at a regular oh, clinic? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's like the, just the degree of intensity is like wild. Like, you know, anywhere from just like, the whole family is there, you know, and yeah. uh, which is great, you know, that, but it's just like, you know, you're, you're making friends with the families and like, um, you know, it's a very fun environment. It's a very pensive environment. Like it's kind of like any minute kind of switches from one to the next. And, you know, when I, like I was saying sink or swim, like the next, you know, ten, like maybe three weeks into my like training there, they, I'm like in the ICU, and there was, you know, there's people there that like 48 hours ago were in Afghanistan and, and got blown up. So like, it's just very, um, a kind of a, a close relationship to all of that, Yeah. you know? So yeah, it was very intense. That's like kind of what I, that's what I, it was, it was a trip and it was intense, you know? So, um, but I really enjoyed it and I was very fortunate like to have had those experiences and, um, be a part of that. So um, there was this one particular couple who the, the, the gentleman had gotten injured probably like three months prior to that and, um, hadn't showered in two months prior to that. Right. Like just like hadn't showered while downrange. And, um, oh. yeah. So now we're like five months without showering and, you know, like he, the, the, he had bathed, yeah, like right? A, like, yeah, like, a, yeah, like a bed bath. Bed bath yeah, yeah. Yeah. But okay. like thinking about sen- our sensory system, right? Like just right, the yeah. feeling of the water, like over your skin. And so I'm this, this, oh, a different OT is helping is as a part of occupational therapy treatment. Like she's, we're, you know, problem solving a way to like help this, this guy shower. And so he, she's in there, uh, with the guy and, you know, shower session is like that, that was always like super fun. Like I loved those, like, that's just like, it's usually like such a happy time. It feels super good. I play music. Like, it's just like, it's one of the first times I think a lot of people experience just normalcy. Um, so there was, that was always like a cool treatment session. Um, so anyway, there's this other OT is in there with them and, um, it's the service member and his wife and his wife is wearing a white 
t-shirt and she takes the white t-shirt off and says to him, to the OT, you know, with like a, a smile on her face, she says, we don't want a white t-shirt contest up in here. Yeah. And so they do the shower and then the OT comes like running into the clinic. She's like beat red. She's really upset. And she's like, she doesn't know if like, she's like, she's embarrassed herself. It's very obvious she's uncomfortable. Um, she doesn't know if like, she shouldn't have allowed them to do that. You know, she just didn't even like know how to like process it. And she's like telling this story and I'm listening to it and I'm like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, this is so cool. Like, oh, I'm the only one that is having this reaction. <laughs> like, oh boy, this is interesting. So it really made me think because I just, you know, these individuals were like, they had been under tremendous stress. And nothing was normal about their life at the current moment. And this was like their first like experience back to anything that felt like somewhat normal. And normal was flirting and normal was walking around in your bra. Like this was a, this was a couple, you know? And so then shortly after that, there was this like, this was kind of the reason, real reason why I just said like, okay, I have to like make a shift and figure out how to like, address this or learn and specialize in this. Um, and I was in the room and there was like a, a medical, they were doing like a round, a rounds with all the doctors with this service member. And he was laying in bed and he had an X fix, which is like, do you, do you know what an X fix is? Yeah, external fixator. Yeah. So an external <clears throat> fixator, it's like all these, ball, it, it's drilled, it's external to their body, but it's drilled into their bones. Right. And this one in particular. So it's like a little metal halo yeah. with rods coming from the bone. So it's from the outside, but setting the bone in the right space. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so this was, um, uh, this was on the service member's pelvis. And um, this couple was like, they were, they were 19 years old. And the doctors all like do their rounds and say what they think is going on. And you know, and the, the wife, like, and the doctors are like, any questions? And the wife is just like, asks, like, when can I ride it? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And every, the, like, the doctors were, like, horrified. And it was, it's funny. It is funny, but, uh, you know, it, like, the doctors were, you know, they just were like, if do, they were like, do not get on top of him. <laughs> And in my head, I'm like trying to figure out ways for her to get on top. Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, it, it was just like the, in general, um, you know, there were, there were some providers that were like really dedicated to this and others that were very uncomfortable and sometimes judgmental that they kind of felt like the kind of phrase of like, shouldn't you be worried about something else? Like, yeah. shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be worried about this right now. Right. And it's like, so I got a good counter to that. Yeah. I've never been combat injured, but I have been in several conversations where a guy will say, I can do without one leg, one arm, yeah. you know, this, that it's like, uh, they should work as like a fucking insurance, uh, <laughs> actuary. Uh, they go, but if I lose my dick, it's over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like it, so whoever, whatever doctor said that, I mean, talk about bedside manner, but like just knowing about 
being a human. Sure. Um, you know, probably. Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't take a genius to refute that. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, of course, like on my end, like I'm just sort of thinking like, hmm, okay, well, like maybe she can't get on top, but what about all these other things that they could be doing? Like, I'm just like doing the kind of like analysis of like if their bodies can like come together for oral or for fingering or like or even just like kissing or hugging and laying in bed. Right. Like those things where those are difficult to do when you have lines and leads and X fix and you're you're getting used to this new body um, that, you know, is permanent. Right. So, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of like, and, and I, I was, you know, fortunate, there were other providers there that were like, oh, kind of seeing what I was seeing. And, um, we, we, you know, had a, a group of colleagues that would, we would help, you know, each other think about things. And, um, but I just started like, you know, people ask like how, because eventually I did get a certification. I got a certification in sex counseling from the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So that was like an eventual thing that I did do. But getting started, like people ask how I learn or how I, you know, and I tell them like I would go into some of the patients that I was like more had a, had a good rapport with. And of course, ask their permission, right? And I probably, I don't think I did this when they were like in the hospital, but like they go to outpatient, they, you know, they're getting back to like living life. And I would just ask them like, Hey, can we like, can I talk, can I ask you some questions about sex? I'm, I'm trying to get more into this, trying to learn more. Um, and, and I just got like some questions for you. And the, the, you know, these service members were great. They were like, this is so important. And they, you know, they were really vulnerable with me and they, they shared a lot of like what was going on and what they struggled with. And those were very formidable interviews. And I'm very grateful for the people that like gave me their time to, to share that. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, for many of them, um, I also then like worked with them, collaborated with them really on some strategies or techniques that might help them in their particular situation. But that was, that was a lot. It was just engaging the stakeholder and the stakeholder being like the, like the service member. Working with maybe younger service members who don't have much of a sexual history or experience of any Mm -hmm. versus working with more experience, what kind of differences did you see? That's such a good question, but I can't say that there was, um, I can't say that I would say there was a huge difference. Um, I think a lot of, if I could say something to answer that, you know, a lot of the experiences that we have early, younger are so reinforced and repeated and that the, then they're kind of reinforced and some they kind of carry for a lot of us. Like, tw- I think 20 states and the District of Columbia require sexual health education and only like 12 of them require it to be medically accurate so like i don't know what they're teaching i do know what they're teaching and it's it's like you know it's it doesn't help it doesn't set most of us up for success so i think thinking of (laughs) what you could have as an example of medically inaccurate non-medically accurate yeah um just like you know maybe something like when when a 
when someone can get pregnant, when they can't get pregnant. Oh, like, okay. you know, you can get pregnant anytime. The, like, I mean, med- it's all like very penetration focused. Like they don't talk about how people orgasm. Um, maybe the curriculum didn't even include the word clitoris. Like most likely it didn't. Okay. <laughs> so like, so through omission, you're like omitting a body part, you know, like yeah, it's just yeah. like, it doesn't exist. I remember ours <laughs> was just like a very <laughs> graphic childbirth video. Oh my gosh. It was just supposed to right? like deter you from wanting that in your life at all. Yeah. So a lot of fear, you know, and so oh, yeah. a lot yeah. of fear. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Massachusetts, you're either like cat. Well, you're just Catholic whether you're. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're I mean, Catholic or not, you're just Catholic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I remember, um, yeah, I, I, I dated someone who, um, I think New York State has pretty good um, sexual health education. I remember him, me just sort of being like, I, I bet they didn't, like, show you you know, the vol- like pictures of the vulva with the, the clitoris. And he was like, yeah, they did. And I was like, wow, New York state has it, got it going on. Like, that's great. <laughs> Good, for them. Good for them. Right. The rest of us are like, Ooh. Okay. so anyway, but, um, I mean, I think that there's, um, yeah, you know, between, I think some of the dynamics are different is that people like that are older might be in longer term relationships. Um, and then, you know, some of the, the questions there are probably more to do with like maintaining a sexual relationship and sexual desire in long-term relationships where, um, that doesn't always come up in the younger folks. So we talked a little bit before about like this, this gap across medical disciplines and addressing sex. And you just alluded to it with, you know, a doctor saying, Hey, you, you shouldn't be focused on that right now. Um, we also have like cultural taboos, mm. people taking offense, uh, or, or, you know, increased ability to be offended, especially nowadays. Uh, and also some like religious and cultural barriers and maybe family barriers, mm. <laughs> uh, there's a lot yeah. up, up against us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I say, actually. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Great. Uh, how do you, uh, initially get into this topic? When you first meet someone. Mm. So when I, you know, when I was working, um, in, in acute care, which was Walter Reed, you know, as a part of my evaluation, I would just explain like what occupational therapy does and then include like that. We also talk about sex and intimacy. So if you have any questions, let me know. So I would usually, usually do it on day one. Okay. If I didn't do it on day one, um, you know, if someone was there that I knew was going to be there for a longer amount of time, I would just say, like, at some point, I would be like, hey, you know, we also, like, talk about sex and intimacy. So if you have questions about that, just know that, you know, you, you can ask it. And then what would happen, too, is that, like, my peers, my OT peers would address it with their clients. And then if um, if they sort of felt like they wanted to pass them on to me, then they would. So... Yeah. I mean, I think the best way to do it is just, um, be very frank about it. Right. Like just like very, very clear and indirect. Um, and the, what I have found is like the more that I'm, um, just really candid about it, it kind of puts the person at ease. And so, Oh, like I can talk about this. Um, 
And the pro- in healthcare, one of the challenges is that um, the research shows us that we wait. Healthcare providers wait for clients to bring it up. Clients wait for healthcare providers to bring it up. <laughs> it's not a, that's not like uh, allegorical to an actual sexual encounter uh, at yes, all. Yes, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, wait, and this it gets even better. So the two of you just sit on a couch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a foot apart for an hour and a half. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happens. And then, like, you know how you just, like, inch closer and closer, and now, like, somehow there's a hand on my leg, you yeah. know? Yeah, because my next question was going to yeah. be, like, uh, how many mentions does it take to get the conversation actually started? You know what? It is it is wild. In my experiences, people bite immediately. Oh, yeah? People want to talk about this. I mean, they are so... and And... This kind of also goes, the same question um, people have asked me before, like, have you ever had, you know, a client or a service member, like, be inappropriate with you? Which I, you know, I think is um, unfortunate people have that bias that that would happen, right? When, like, a either when a woman talks about sex or right. someone gives the service member an opportunity to talk about sex, you know? I think it's a little empirical, though. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can so, tell you just from <laughs> being familiar with the audience. Well, in my experience, yeah. the answer was also no, right? Okay. So what I find is like people are so grateful to just have the opportunity to talk about it. So they kind of act right. Um, they're like, they don't want to blow their chance at actually having like an opportunity to have a serious conversation with a healthcare provider about some of the, the challenges and the difficulties that they're having. Um, and so... I found that people were readily interested in talking about it. And I found that people were, for the most part, like invested in it. And, um, you know, aside from it being uncomfortable to talk about sex, like there was no, there was no other added layer of like discomfort. Okay. We had a buddy of mine on his last episode as of when we're sitting down right now, it might not be last episode, but he, uh, we started talking to him about him before we recorded um he had got an injury medically retired and he wanted to become a pt Mm -hmm. uh because he was you know kind of like got really into it during his own recovery and thought this is a way i can help other people you know i'm gonna study up and he's gonna graduate as dpt here in you know this school year uh we spent a good portion of the episode talking about matching his psychological recovery from the injury with his physical recovery and sometimes they're not aligned sometimes one is lagging behind and he said something very interesting and i'll try to paraphrase him he said you know when you uh when you identify the problem and you get a treatment plan going you think recovery is going to be this linear process and what happens when it's not and then you have to adjust your thinking or you try not to get down that kind of thing so if if we just are talking about people who are recovering from uh, an injury, how much of your work went into the physical and the psychological? Mm-hmm. And I know you brought up psychosocial as a as a topic at the beginning. I don't know if that's separate, but how much of how much are you spending on addressing like the physical nature of of accomplishing your goal versus the psychological and like how much psych training do you mm. do get 
it, it goes hand in hand. Like I would say probably 70% of it is psychosocial and navigating the interpersonal relationships or even just like the kind of inner conflicts that people have around sex and sexuality, especially like after injury. So I would say then like 30% is more physical. Um, you know, you can, here's a great way to explain that. I, I let's just like take, for example, someone comes in, um, you know, they have a new body that they're working with. There may be a double amputee or, you know, lost an arm or have like a, um, you know, certain limbs don't work great or like, okay. So, so someone comes in and they, they're perhaps like a double amputee and they share that they, um, they're like super exhausted at the end of the day after going to all their like therapies, their residual limbs hurt. They like literally are sore. They're in pain. They're just kind of like in a lot of pain at the end of the day. And they don't know like if they can get on top and do all of like the things that they used to be able to do. And so I'll suggest things like, well, why don't you, what if you tried to like have sex in the morning when you have more energy and when your limbs don't hurt as much and you can get on top. And if your partner like angles her legs in a certain way, it can kind of hold your residual limbs in place. So I'll be giving like suggestions on timing, suggestions on positioning, suggestions on like talking to the wife about like what is like the the sexual activity that she like enjoys the most and is it penetration like does it always have to be the same thing and the oftentimes the response will just kind of be like well I know like it'll be I know that that's what she likes that's so awkward to to suggest we plan sex for the morning and there's no point in like having sex if I can't get on top. So now we're working through like, um, you know, one is like, I would say something like, and I'm not trying to be challenging, but I'll be like, well, how do you know that that's what your wife wants? And it's never, it very rarely, sometimes it's like, well, that's what she told me. <laughs> like, that's what she told me yesterday. So then I'm like, okay, cool. Like yeah. check. Right. But a lot of times it's like, there's no, there's no explicit conversation around that. And, um, sometimes I will, I will say that a lot of times like we'll get the spouse in and the spouse will be like, Oh no, that's not, that's not actually like, Oh no, no, that's not it. Like that's like, yeah. that's a, B and C honestly. Like I want X, Y, and Z. It's again, not allegorical at all on how men view their own like sexual prowess yeah. i know exactly what she wants <laughs> yeah no. right and like i i always say that like a man that knows what a woman wants like what a woman wants is like hey new sexual partner like how do you come like <laughs> what do you like in bed like to me like that's that is knowing what women want right yeah so okay so so like it's so now we have to kind of like really nail down like is that like is that an absolute that the spouse or the partner is like saying like, no, I like you, you have to be on top. Right. I would say 90% of the times it is not that. Right. Okay. So then you, now we have to talk about like why it's, why is it awkward to schedule sex and why, like, let's talk like, why is that spontaneity so much more like paramount than scheduling it? Because they're also, they're saying like, they're not even in the mood at night, you know? So like, but they're, they're I guess their partners are. Um, 
So that kind of awkwardness, like talking about why, why is it awkward to talk about sex and like plan when it might be better to do it. And, and this expectation that you're putting on yourself to be perfect. Like the, the third one was like, no, like if I can't be on top, then I'm not doing it, you know? And it's like, trust me, I'm all about you getting on top. Like I am not, you know, I'm all about you getting on top, but like there's a, but is that the only thing that we're going to work on and, and, and work towards? And like, you can get on top if you have sex in the morning because your limbs don't hurt. So like, so yeah, sometimes the front door is locked. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, can we, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. other ways in the building. Right, like, there's other yeah. ways in the building, you know? Like, um, yeah, so it's just, it's a lot of um, that that acceptance piece around um, it's not going to look exactly like it looked, you know, before the injury or, you know, before the traumatic event. Um and what I like, what I also like to say to people too, cause they can really mourn that kind of, that, you know, the, the, the injury, the traumatic event, those things were out of their control, right? But I, what I like to say is to people is like, look, like, like sex at 30, I promise you, bro, was always gonna look different than sex at 20. And like, sex at 40 is going to look different than sex at 30. And thank God, like, you know, like if we were all out here having sex, like we did when we were 17, like, I don't know. Right. Like yeah. it was always going to evolve and look different and be different. So the economy might take a hit, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was always going to look different. And I can, I, I do sympathize though with that kind of rapid change. I do, but I also like, we are sexual beings ideally throughout our entire lifespan and so we always were going to have to learn how to adapt to our new bodies as we just go through life. You know, whether that's like an injury or after childbirth or, you know, after cancer or something like that. So, or just even just like every, I, you know, I'll say to people like, just every day I'm older than what I was yesterday, right? Just going through life. I know that the, uh, you know, modal interaction for you is with a male service member just because mm-hmm. that's how it is. Mm-hmm. But I know that you probably spend a lot of time talking to female spouses, mm-hmm. but also, I mean, maybe female yeah. service members yeah. too. Absolutely. And does, does your experience differ there? It's, it's very, it can be very similar. You know, it's a lot of the things that people will say, right? So like I've had a lot of female service members that have felt like, like they have shared that they feel that it's going to be harder for them to meet a partner versus their male counterparts that are injured and kind of that, that feeling that men are more visual and perhaps less understanding. Um, but those are, you know, there's probably something to that. There's also exceptions to that as well, but you know, that it doesn't matter. Right. Cause like, that's what they feel, right. Right, That's the story that they're, that's the their the narrative that they're they're believing, right? So it matters a lot. So whenever they don't meet someone, it doesn't really matter what the true attribution yeah, was. They're correct. not gonna. It's always gonna be with them. Yeah, exactly. So you know they they would have a lot of questions there. I think that um, and you know some of this is just like the the folks that were at Walter Reed, but there were quite a few female service members that I worked with after that had experienced sexual trauma, you know, trauma, um, different, like, and many, many had combat trauma and sexual trauma, right? So 
Um, and I did work with some males as well that had sexual trauma. Um, but those, you know, there you're kind of talking, uh, helping them through the process of like, I mean, although sometimes it's like, it's a lot of very similar conversations, regardless of like what happened to people. Um, people are trying to re-engage in sex. They're anxious. They're hesitant about it. They don't have the desire for it. They want to have the desire for it. And so you're just kind of helping them like chip away at like, well, what would be like the, what would be like the closest thing that you feel like you could like, that would feel good to do, right? Like if we're not going to do like the whole kit and caboodle, like what is it that like we could start with and um, that you could feel good about, right? And experience pleasure and be, you know, like remember what that feels like and know that um, you didn't want to do anything else and then you didn't do anything else. So your boundaries were respected. And then of course, how to communicate all of this to your partner. Do you deal a lot with uh, military sexual trauma recovery too? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I hate that it has an acronym because things mm. that have acronyms mean that they're used enough to get an acronym. Yeah. yeah. How is your engagement with those types of patients? Because, you know, in the... It's very clear when someone has received like a physical injury and they're rehabbing and, and learning how to get back to, you know, but a lot of people, a lot of sexual trauma goes unreported. Mm-hmm. Um, and just what is that like setting interaction like? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, first off, I, I find it, um, I always found it really re- enjoyable and rewarding to work with a lot of these folks because, um, the end goal is like, if you think about like an assault, like the pleasure, no one cared about their pleasure, right? Like that was omitted and that was not there. And I have found that like tuning back into the pleasure and like reinforcing that as center to their experience actually helps them like that can really help them heal from the trauma. So, cause it, the pleasure is like the thing that wasn't there, right? That was like the thing that was denied them. So what I find is that like a lot of counseling and therapy and rehab like will folk for sexual trauma will focus on a lot of really important things but not really the sex part (laughs) not really like it's like the getting back to work and like getting back to like being a parent and like getting back to like you know um managing your day and like getting done what you need to get done and but it's not really like targeting the sex part and i just find that kind of ironic because that's where like the trauma occurred um, well, it doesn't have to be that type of setting where the person doesn't care about your pleasure. I mean, poor lovers cannot care about your pleasure. That is such, but, yeah. But it's it's also the. I mean, you know, I don't speak from an experienced or educated mm-hmm. standpoint on this. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to host a show. But you know, it, it seems to me that like there's a fear involved, and then there's. Not even that just someone had complete disregard for your body and self, but that you were used as an object for somebody else's, mm-hmm. you know. Enjoyment or enjoy- pleasure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, I mean, I agree that, like, it kind of goes back to the doctor that you, you know, uh, paraphrased and saying, like, well, yeah, we have to get, we have to get you, like, comfortable with going out in public. Mm-hmm. We have to get you comfortable mm-hmm. with 
other activities of daily life. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe not a lot of people think that, you know, sexual pleasure is something that you should be focusing on right now. And then like, how long can that go before you even address it? Yeah. Or you like, I'm guessing for a lot of people, it just goes on indefinitely. Yeah. Unaddressed. Yeah, absolutely. And then you try to have sex and it, it's, 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 it's a nightmare. You're triggered or, yeah. um, it's, it's very distressing or you, what I find a lot is that you kind of like people have like the, the flight response or you have like the freeze response where you just sort of like numb out, push the fast forward button, kind of like go through the motions. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. The very first thing that you said, I, I completely agree with you. The idea of like poor lovers can also not care about your pleasure. And so it's what's really interesting is when you get the dynamic where like people have had that experience and then they've also had an assault. So like they've never really centered their pleasure. Like, I mean, and then you also add the dynamic of females who, um, you know, in general, sex education for us is 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 just, you know, it's. You'll get it's pregnant all, and die. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's, look, it's all bad, and then it's worse when you have a clitoris, right? Like, because they're not even teaching about it, you know? Yeah. So, like, you're like, what's this body part, you know? So, like, it, you know, it's it's these things that get reinforced, right? And so now that what's really cool is, like, when you have people that, like, are ready to, you know, they're they're ready to enjoy sex. They're ready to get back to having sex and, like, having that be a healthy part of their life. And so sometimes when I start to talk about pleasure versus like position A or position B, or like when I start to just like say like, hey, what do you find pleasurable? It kind of takes them back. And they're like, oh, well, like, and it just um, can lead to really cool discussions around what people are actually desiring and what people are actually craving and what they're yearning for and what they want the next time they go hook up with somebody and then giving people the permit. I mean, and this goes for everyone. Right. And then like having people say like, Oh, like I, I can ask for those things and I can tell my partner, I don't want to do that, but I do want to do this. And, and then that can be respected. And then that feels really good because that maybe was something that wasn't respected previously with with you know with an assault situation i have just a list of topics that are (laughs) not like uh you know yeah we try to make them flow logically on the show but you can just come up with lists of things for episodes like these oh one thing we did talk about uh before was the um topic of flirting Mm. so uh i think OT professional is heavily uh, weighted female. Yes. And uh, a lot of, especially (laughs) the people you worked with are men. And there's one aspect about flirting where it's just, uh, it can be um, light and, and, uh, and, and kind of get you past sort of maybe an uncomfortable introduction or uh or speed mm-hmm. up the rapport building and then there's also obviously the other side of it where it's like hey dude this isn't the time and the place yeah. we got a job to do yeah yeah that's such a that's a a fun topic i think um you know what what i would find a lot of times is that you know for a lot of you know people like 
that are in these very stressful situations, like they're eliciting what their strengths are to build connections with people, right? So like, of course, a lot of the service members used humor. I mean, it was just like the jokes were flying. And if you were a clinician that was good at using humor, like you were in, you know? Yeah. And, and flirting is also like a, a sort of a social interaction. I, I remember specifically this uh, guy that I'm, I'm actually really good friends with to this day. And every time that he was um, kind of very much so in and out of the hospital and he, this was like, he had been injured maybe four years prior to this. He had come back into the hospital and like, I would walk into his room and he would just be like, you still got that boyfriend? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, like, do you still have that girlfriend? <laughs> Cause he had a girlfriend too. Yeah. And you know, like that was his way of, um, of flirting. And then of course, like one time I, he was like, you still got that boyfriend? And I was like, actually I don't. He was like, Oh, <laughs> 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 let me make a call. Yeah, real quick. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, let yeah. me make a call. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And then some guys, I, I would, I would ask them, like, do they have a partner or like, do you have a girlfriend? And they would be like, no. Why are you accepting resumes? <laughs> I loved that one. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's funny how I got that more than once, like from different people. They're sharing notes. Yeah, they're sharing notes. Um, so anyway, so then the question becomes, like, well, how, like, is that okay as the clinician to allow or? to, yeah, I guess allow it, you know, and I think that is sort of an absurd question. Um, I think probably like you were sharing, like the professions about 80% female. And, um, I think there's a dynamic there where we sort of like place the responsibility on the female to like, make sure everyone's like acting appropriately and like to, to kind of like put the guy in his place if he's being flirtatious and, or that, that for some reason, you know, she's responsible but I generally like, I appreciate when people practice their skill set that they're like, we want our patients to get back to who they were. And if who they were was, you know, a kind of boisterous or gregarious, you know, big flirt, like then that's, we want them to get back to that. And, you know, we think too, when you just think of perspective, right? Like we, you know, we like go to school for lots of years to, to get this degree to then like go to our place that like that hospital was like our place of employment. But for a lot of people that are injured, a hospital is like, oh, I've never been here before. Like mm, what? You know, they don't know the social norms of like a hospital setting because they're a patient. Yeah. They've never gotten like injured before. You don't get a <laughs> trust me, like when you get like blown up and you end up at Walter Reed, no one gives you like a briefing on like hospital norms. <laughs> like that's like not on top of the list, you know? Right. Anyway, so I just think it's like a very appropriate way for them to be like practicing their social skills. And that's like, I, I like to see people, um, I'm getting back to that. And, you know, a lot of times it would help me segue into, oh, like you're, you know, I, I, I see, I appreciate that you're flirting. Like, you know, we can talk about you like finding new partners and meeting new partners because sometimes that flirting can kind of be their way of being like, does this even still work? Like, do I even still got this? Um, and so it can kind of be like something that they do to like confirm an insecurity that they have. And so I think it's a really great segue into actually talking about sex and intimacy. I was going to ask this later, but how much of finding success in your job mm -hmm. is due to personality 
or just all the stuff that you don't learn in a book or in a class. Your way to adapt to the situation, be personable with people, right? Like the Mm -hmm. bedside manner that we all talk about in medicine, but it's a little bit more than that, I think. Yeah. My my therapeutic approach, I've tried to have it always be more collaborative. And like, for me, like power and control is not super important. So like controlling the like situation and and kind of establishing that dynamic is not like a, that's not important to me. So I think that hopefully people feel like chatting uh, with me feels like kind of more like chatting with a friend, even though like, yes, I'm a clinician. And yes, I have a lot of experience and training in this and I'm here to help you. That's what I try to like portray is just sort of, especially when talking about sex, because it's so intimidating. And so the last thing you want to do is feel like you're talking to like some kind of like out of touch expert, like about your body parts that like you don't talk to anyone about. So I think I try to just like, you want someone who resembles one of your parents (laughs) sitting at a large wooden desk with a leather chair with a bunch (laughs) of degrees on the wall. Yeah. Like that's when you're going to open up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like I just try to um, level with them and something that I think has been really helpful to me is be, is to kind of call out. Like I say to people, look, I talk about sex all day long, but I know that not everybody else does. And I know that it can be really awkward to talk about sex, but that's okay. And it is, and we're going to get through that. So just kind of calling into awareness, like the, the discomfort I think is helpful for people. So they don't have to pretend to be like super comfortable about it. Cause it's like, it's really actually very uncomfortable. <laughs> Next. So we're getting into some like listener submitted friend texted things (laughs) that people want to hear about topics, right? Yeah. You talk about the way that people use porn to Mm. either explore their own sexuality while they're in a relationship, either collaborative with their partner or maybe masked from their partner Mm -hmm. and when it's helpful and when it's just normal use and, and, and when it's uh, hurtful. Yeah. Which that could be like its own episode. Yeah, no, that's like good. So, right, it can be helpful or hurtful. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, people have their own sexual relationship with themselves. And that is, I really support that. And that's very healthy. Then when it's totally secretive, like from their partners, that's really an interesting topic. Because I do think that people like have the right to hold things, that, that people have the right to privacy, Um, but secrecy is different from privacy. Um, and so, you know, having the, the, the partner like know that you watch porn, you know, that partner might view that as secrecy versus privacy. And I think it just depends on the couple or infidelity, maybe. Yeah. Or infidelity. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, this is just, this is just anecdotal and I don't like to draw too many like comparisons or contrasts between males and females. But I do think that just like through conditioning or the way that like we're, we're brought up, like there are differences, right? And so this is in my own experience, I have found that like males tend to watch porn and like really compartmentalize it. Like this is just sort of like this other space that I go to that I'm a sexual person. And I don't like, I don't want to do those things with my spouse. Like, I can compartmentalize that. Um, this it's is just a, it's like a fantasy escape. 
Sure, but then they also, but they can have other fantasies that they want to do with their spouse. Okay. Right? Like, it's not like the porn is the fantasy and the, and the spouse is not. Like that, I would say, there's, that could be problematic, right? We yeah. need to have fantasies in both places. We need to be desirous in both places. But what I'm sharing is like, one, fantasies, like you don't have to act out. Fantasies are just fantasies. You don't have to act them out. You don't have to share them. If you share them, you don't have to do them. You can act them out through just like verbally acting them out, not literally like flying to <laughs> like Cabo oh, and no, like, go ahead. you know, <laughs> not literally flying to like Cabo and like, you know, meeting your partner there and pretending to be two different people, right? You could like verbally say that to each other in bed and like, so porn as I, I think that males tend to, they, they have a relationship, they can have a relationship with porn that's like much more compartmentalized. Whereas I find that females, you know, maybe there's just like less experience, less use. It's, it's really interesting. I've had a lot of female spouses tell me like they're afraid that their partner like wants that in bed, like wants to do those things with them. Um, like if you looked up the person's history, yeah. like browsing history, you would expect that they want you to like, yeah. Act out whatever the last thing they watched was. Right. And I find that like even the, the, the porn that's more like female, you know, feminist porn or porn that's like targeted for females, like there is more of a storyline to it. There's more of a dialogue and like, yeah. Females... Well, they all, I think they all have storylines. You just fast forward through the, sure, the, right. the first like... five minutes, right? <laughs> I don't fast forward, You're right? Fix like the drain. Yeah. Like right. I'm like, I'm into the story, you know? So yeah. I think there's what like kind a of pizza is it? Yeah. <laughs> there's like a deeper, there's like a more of a, and I mean, maybe this, you know, I'm, I'm I really don't like to, um, say like i'm no i'm no porn expert okay okay like but maybe there's more of like an investment in the storyline so it can be hard to see that like their partners can like compartmentalize that out now there's like the totally i mean other end of the spectrum right like porn is very unrealistic you know it's not real <laughs> like yeah. a lot of it is not realistic a lot of it is not what what people are doing when they're sexual with each other um, so pro wrestling, it's like pro wrestling, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that, that does create a lot of problems if people are expecting that in their sexual life. And even just like a great example being like, you can watch the porn. If you don't like it, you switch to the next porn. If you don't like it, you switch to the next one. And that right. could take 15 seconds for you to decide that you don't like that. Yeah. And we very much so cannot do that with partners. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that that needs to yeah, be explained, no. but like we can't do that with partners. Yeah, exactly. So it's more about asking yourself, like, are you reinforcing, are you like making a scenario where like all the dopamine is getting re released on like this particular thing that's very hard to replicate in real life? So yeah, that becomes problematic. Okay. And where have you seen it used like successfully together? Yeah. I mean, I think like people just, you know, put it, put it on and, you know, it's a way that people can build desire, right? I've, I've seen it used successfully where like, you know, I always say that a lot of times we think that we need to be at like a 10 out of 10, like horniness level to like jump into sex. And if we're not, it's like, how do I get there? Or if, if the partner 
is like ready than the other partner who is like just folding laundry. Like, like, is like, oh, whoa, like, you know, sex exists. Like, I'm folding laundry right now. You know, so they like, you know, the partner might be at like a 10 out of 10 horniness, but like, they also had time to like get themselves there. And so when people are like not matching with their desires or not matching with their their level of horniness, I, I really encourage people to just have like a running list of like actual things that they can engage in that build their desire. And that take them from a zero to a one and a one to a three and a three to a five instead of thinking like I need to go from like a zero to a 10 right now. So sometimes that's porn for people. I mean, sometimes that's taking a shower. Sometimes that's meditating for five minutes. Sometimes that's like being alone and not like not taking care of the kids and not, you know, running around the house cleaning it up. Like sometimes that's a massage or, you know, it's just like, really, I think, very helpful for people to kind of have like, you know, a a list of things that they know build their arousal so that when they like want to, but they don't really feel that desire for it. Or or the way I say it is like, when people want to want it, then they can do those things. Peter Thiel wrote a book called Zero to One. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think it's a little different. (laughs) I think it's about business. Yeah. I think that the uh, opposing kind of f- first reaction from the man side, mm-hmm. and I'm making like complete sweeping generalizations mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. for both. So just bear with knowing that, <laughs> uh, assuming that, or hearing that, or guessing that women will look at porn viewing and see like infidelity. Sometimes men may look at it and immediately feel like jealousy, like as if she were talking to another guy mm. at the bar or as if, you know, yeah. the object of the medium is is like the person in it and not the thing that's yeah. happening. Yeah. You know, I don't have like tons of experience navigating it in that direction. I am certain that that is, I'm certain that that's a dynamic that happens. You know, in general though, like what this is kind of making me think about is just this idea of ownership. And we're taught about sex as like, it's a little bit of like ownership and entitlement, right? So like, we're kind of taught like, okay, we get this partner and then like, they're supposed to do all these things because they're our partners or we get married and this is just like, what's supposed to happen. Like my partner or my husband is not supposed to cheat on me, which like, I I get it. Right. That's (laughs) Or my wife is not supposed to watch porn, but couples, this is what I always say, couples argue over contracts they never made. (laughs) They never made. They never talked about porn. They never talked about infidelity. They never made these contracts, right? But we argue about them. And so that's where I think we kind of, that we weren't taught to communicate about sex really sets us up, doesn't set us up for success. So when we can talk about sex, then it's not, um, I don't feel sort of like that I'm assuming or expecting or feel entitled that you're going to do it a certain way. But more so, I take ownership over myself and I say things like, hey, this is like the way that I want it, or this is what my expectations are. This is why I'm in relationships. This is why I have sex. And I think that it can help couples um, like navigate a lot of the pain that ends up on like the other end is just getting really clear about expectations and 
you know, I, I, another dynamic, like I hear a lot and I, I heard this a lot in the military. And I, I think I got, I got this a lot with males and females, but a tendency to kind of be caretaking, like to, to do it all and to be good at it. Right. So to like be the best that you can be. Yeah. And so they would be like, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to be like a perfect and a really good sexual partner and kind of like navigate everything and take care of everything and meet the other person's needs. And the, that's, that's great. I never wanted to like discourage people, you know, from that, but it takes a lot of, um, one, it sort of like takes ownership over the other person's experience where it really works best. If like you take ownership over your experience, not someone else's. And you think about like, if I were to like break it down, it's like 51% of the, like 51%, like you're, you're like thinking about your needs and your wants and your preferences. And then like 49, you're thinking about your partners. So I'm not trying to say like, don't think about your partner. It's just, we need to like even that out. Like if you're only 100% thinking about your partner, then you're really like, you're really missing out on the experience for yourself. And it creates a lot of pressure to like, be all that you can be in the bed. <laughs> it's like So they don't have those posters up at the <laughs> military hospital. Be all you can be in the bedroom. In the sack. Yeah. In the sack. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh let's talk about E D. Yes. All right. That's my response too. Yes. 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 Oh man. We have to Ben and I both love movies, so we have to cut in the one from Airplane 2 where they got Sonny Bono <laughs> and he goes, "Don't say cuz you know, I don't know if you love the airplane movies." I do. But yeah. uh he's gets like uh <laughs> it's like a letter or something and it's addressed to like the um uh like back in the day it wasn't called ED, right? It was called Oh, what the, how can I not think of this word? Impetus? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was called or impotence. Impotence. Yeah. yeah it's like impotence. the mess. Like, <laughs> impetus. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's different. Cut but that? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, like, uh, like, this is the men's clinic for uh, impotence. And he, he's on the plane. He goes, don't say that word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like everybody's afraid of, of saying it. And then all the guys uh, in the control tower are just like, Tight lips, like <laughs> looking so side funny. to side. Yeah. yeah. No one has to know about your problem. No one has to know you're impotent. Don't say that word! Right, where do we even start? Where do we even start? Um, well, okay. I would, well, unless you have a perfect starting point for us, <laughs> there's two major things that I would want to hit. So mm. you can do this now or go where you're going to start. What are the major things? Uh, physiological versus mm, psychosocial sure. influences and then uh on the other hand medication Ugh. from recreational to supplemental mm. to you know okay does that make sense yeah. like yeah hey try this out to i went yeah. to my doctor and got this okay but then on the other side yeah i mean like as uh as someone who's educated in this there's got to be both physiological and psychosocial aspect that goes into it. So, um, anyway, I just put a whole yeah. entire syllabus out for us <laughs> to discuss on this. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> need a bottle. I know everybody <laughs> listening is going to like pay attention now. Yeah, <laughs> I need a bottle of wine to get going with this. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so this was something that I I, I thought would really kind of grabbed my attention. One because it was frequent more, you know, 
it was frequent, especially with younger, younger guys. And it was like very, it wasn't like, it was another thing that had a lot of silence around it. And I saw, you know, inefficiencies in, in that. So a third of the Viagra prescriptions in the military go to men under the age of 40. So not a lot of people are in the military over 40. Right. <laughs> so I think what it's saying is just like men under 40 are taking Viagra, you yeah, know, okay. and um, getting these prescriptions. So, you know, what I, what I would find is that, okay, so like a lot of, you know, how does the how does ED even happen in a, in a guy that's under 40, you know, and a lot of it is, can be physiological, right? So like even just the, the nature of the job being in the military, like the wear and tear on the body, jumping out of planes, stress, stress, like rucking, you know, that kind of like tension on the pelvic floor, stress, operational tempo, sleep, wake cycles, so sleep wake cycles impact the hormones that impact erectile, you know, alcoholism, alcohol. Um, so yeah, like it's, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And it's, it's actually like very, it's just, it's tremendously common. But what happens, I think that is the, the, the role that culture plays in that. Most of the experiences that I had, like it was a guy kind of like coming in, like very sort of sheepish and like secretive and you know very like kind of pensive and uncomfortable talking about it you must be here to talk about ed yeah (laughs) yeah exactly you You look absolutely terrified like are you sweating do you need a towel like but i had some good friends that didn't you know were kind of in units like maybe combat combat arm units or units in general that were just more like cohesive and there was like a lot more acceptance around it. It was like, yeah, man, my dick doesn't work. Like I got to use the blue pill and like it works. Mm. So I use it. <laughs> like, And just very frankly being like, it doesn't work. I use something that works. We're fine. Like everything's fine. Oh. And the doctors and the, the physician assistants for the units would be more familiar with this and they would write the prescriptions and then they it would all work, right? And a lot of times it might be a recreational thing like, Hey, you're have like, uh, you know, if there's more conversation around ED, then there's more people that are like, Oh, I have this problem too. And it's like, all right, here, take my blue pill, see what happens. If it works, go tell the doc that what's going on, you know? Mm. And, um, look, I'm not endorsing like any of this, but I'm just saying the system does not work. The, like it, we don't have a good structure around diagnosing this and treating it. So people are left to handle it this way and it's it's the best that they can be doing so you know they their different kind of cultural environments you know were more supportive of that than than other places but you know they the so you have that like physiological challenges and then the psychological challenges i would see that a lot too especially with the younger folks right so like it's really hard to get an erection when you're stressing about getting an erection so like I think it's very insensitive of being like, oh, it's all in their head. But it's like, it, that's very insensitive to say it like that. But like, there are cognitive things going on that are creating anxiety, that are creating, like kicking this person into the sympathetic nervous system. You know, it's like fight, yeah. flight, fright. And they're not able to get an erection. So that those anxieties really are like impacting. And when you're stressing about performing, then it's going to be hard to perform. Yeah. 
Don't, um, don't think about a purple dinosaur. Yeah, right? Like, I usually say, like... It's like a, you can't not, yeah. you know... Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And I've gotten that joke a tons of times before. So a lot of times what I would do, like what I find really helpful is just educating like guys on the, the kind of the role that the central nervous system plays in erections. So we have our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And whenever, you know, we've got fight, flight, fright. And then on the other side, parasympathetic is rest, digest, fall, like fall asleep, eat, go to the bathroom and have sex. Like we're not, if we're super stressed out, like no one's having sex, you know? So sex and enjoying sex occurs in the parasympathetic zone. So we have to be able to relax. People say like sex helps you relax. Well, yes, but you also have to be relaxed in order to enjoy sex and, and have sex. So sometimes when you know, when guys are not relaxed, like they're, they're going to have a harder time getting the erection. It goes back to like, it's very biological, you know, it's very like cavemen times and think like this, I love this metaphor, but there's a reason why antelopes don't mate next to lions. Like if we're, if we're stressed out, like we're not going to be having sex. So, or, or it's not going to work well when we try to. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there, it, unfortunately, a lot of people do get into using Viagra through recreational, right? Like through getting it from their friend and seeing what happens. And I think that there is kind of this like idea that Viagra makes you last longer. (laughs) Oddly enough, I was just, I'm talking about the military with all of this, but I was actually like a few months ago with a bunch of friends that were not not military all like civilian and someone showed up with dick pills and was like passing it around (laughs) and all the guys had it in their pocket like they all got one you know and i was just like what do y'all think is gonna happen like (laughs) (laughs) like you're gonna be like instead of 96 percent hard you're gonna be 100 percent hard like i'm I'm sure they're just like what is gonna happen you know but it doesn't you know the viagra helps you stay hard once you're aroused, like once you're turned on. So you can't really like pop the Viagra and then go watch football and like expect to get a boner. Yeah. It helps you get, it helps you get hard and stay hard when you're aroused. And it doesn't necessarily like help you last longer. Now, if you feel less stressed because you have, you know that you have the support of the Viagra, then that can possibly help you last longer if that's a challenge for you. So with the relaxation part, you almost imagine that there would be some pretty interesting placebo trials. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've like, you know, I- I've, cause I don't prescribe Viagra, right? So I've like worked with people that are on it and the doctor, I think a great combination is like the the doc prescribes it and then ha- encourages you to like speak to a counselor around it because I think going hand in hand can like work really well but so I've worked with people that have been prescribed it and then they come and see me or people that like are talking to me about all of their issues and I'm thinking Viagra would be very helpful for them so I'll put in a referral to like urology or primary care but anyway so I've I've shared with like a lot of people or, or people have felt like they didn't want to go on Viagra, right? They're like, let, like, they're kind of like, look, let me, let me see what some of the strategies that you can give me because I don't want to go on Viagra. Cause and they I'm, think that it's like no coming back. Yeah. They just think like, 
you know, it's a med- maybe they don't want to take a medication. Maybe they think it's it, there's no going back from it. Yeah. Um, maybe they're maybe they've used Viagra and it didn't work. Like they're on other medications. You know, a lot of reasons. And I'll just like give strategies around. We'll get to talking, and they'll just be like, you know, I I like rush through sex because I don't want to lose my erection. And I'll say something to like to them. I'll say, wow, sex seems really stressful. And they'll be like. Yeah. You have no idea, lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, you have no idea, lady. Or like, yeah, exactly. They'll just be like, yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> and so then I'm like, all right, like, let's try to make sex less stressful. Like, what, you know, okay, so like, you're having sex and you lose your erection. Like, what do you do? Like, how can it not be the end of the world when that happens? Yeah. And is there a way that you and your partner can like talk about this and, you know, take a break and like play with other fun parts that you have and wait until you get your erection back? Because a lot of times the erection will come back, but people don't give it a chance. They lose the erection and they're like, oh shit, like uh. throw in the towel, go into the basement, lock the door, like don't make eye contact, you know? Yeah. And it's, that's that reinforces how stressful it is the next time you go to have sex. So if people can just like lose the erection, take all other fun parts, maybe they'll get the erection back, they'll feel less stressed and they can keep it. So so definitely sometimes people are able to um with that those kind of like psychosocial suggestions, they're able to not feel like they need Viagra at that time. Yeah. What about the other drugs? Oh, like Cialis yeah. or those all like, they all have similar effectiveness. It's just that they affect people differently. So Viagra, you take every time that you're trying to have sex. Yeah. Cialis, you take like every two days. I think people are liking Cialis. I think people have said that Viagra causes like some headaches and blood pressure, but it's probably the most widely used at this point and people like do okay with it. What's interesting to me is like the difference between Viagra and Cialis is Cialis, you take it every two days. Viagra, you take it when you want to have sex. And so that sends people for a loop because they're like, wait a minute, like I'm like getting going, I'm touching the fun parts and then I have to be like, time out, let me take this pill. Um, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what you do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and then you go back to the fun parts and like, you just wait and like, you know, you, and, and other times people will kind of, they'll need a little bit more time. Like they'll need 30 minutes and they'll say like, well, you know, it's just helping people navigate. Like some people will take the Viagra, not tell their partner that they've taken it. So now they have it in their systems. They're kind of like revving to go. And then their partner's like, I don't want to have sex. Like I'm, I don't want to have sex right now. Like, you know, and so that can be difficult. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Like, I didn't really take poison. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, it's like you're zigging, I'm zagging, right? We need everyone yeah. to be like zigzagging together. Um, or, you know, like people will say that they take the Viagra and then they have to wait 30 minutes and they'll be like, all right, well, what do I do in that 30 minutes? Yeah. And then I'm like, there's some room for education. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, well, (laughs) listen up. (laughs) Like you pull out your list of things that you like doing (laughs) and you like, 
Quick game of Scrabble? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like strip Scrabble, maybe? Uh, there you go. Oh, nice. There you go. So I, I try to help people, like, think about what they could enjoy doing to, like, fill in that space. And, and that's where it's really, like, that helps them then, like, see that there's all these other sexual things that they can do that don't require, like, a penis. And, look, I always tell people, like, I'm not anti-penetration. I'm not anti-penis at all, right? Like, right. but I do want people... You know, especially males that have penises. Like, I do want them to. I hope that they. I, I want them to sort of see their their full body as having the capacity to give sexual pleasure and not right. just this like one part of it. I gotta them. stick this somewhere. Yeah, that's, and I, I that's will. All I gotta do. Yeah, and I'll literally joke with them, and I'll be like, "Look, you have this entire body that can like." give and receive sexual pleasure and you're focusing on this like relatively tiny part of like your body comparison to like the rest of your body and yeah. i get it like i i definitely call like, them relatively tiny it, yeah, yeah up to yeah, the rest yeah, of their body I but like yeah, I, I mean usually yeah. <laughs> you know they like like they laugh like it that's like um most of the time they laugh yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. um you know and i i think that that's I, I think that that can be helpful for people too as they navigate the challenges that are inherent with erectile dysfunction the uh so I, when i was uh like in medic training you have to estimate how much of the surface area of the body's burned yeah it's the rule of nines yeah right so it's like the torso is 18 on the front 18 on the back each leg is nine on the front nine on the back and each arm is nine completely yeah and the head is nine yeah but it adds up to 99 so they put one percent on the genitals, right. and you're like, "Hey, what the hell?" Yeah, that, yeah, that come doesn't... on, you mean like one and a half? Yeah, can I get one and a half too here? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think uh, Viagra was like a blood pressure medicine, right? Yes, it's the post-it note of pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Post-its were. The 3M made some glue that wasn't sticky enough. Yeah. But then someone was like, oh, I invented the post-it note. Yeah. Uh, and I think Pfizer had like a blood pressure medicine that didn't work. But then everyone in their trials was like, hey, guys. Yeah. We got something here. <laughs> yeah, my, my dick is working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. That's funny. And I don't think the the females had that response, right? I think that that was like, I mean, obviously they like. Oh, yeah. Do women take, uh, um, I, I would guess recreationally, but what kind of effect is there? I don't think they have one. Okay. It's different nerves. I think it's, it's for, there's some, it's like a nit- nitrogen. I'm not doing this right, but some neurotransmitter that helps elicit the erection that women don't need or females don't need in order to elicit lubrication. Like it's just different neurotransmitter. So, um, but women, uh, or females can take testosterone. Actually, this is, this is for females that are like post menopause and have like a, their testosterone is, you know, lower out of range of the normal and they can take testosterone and they can, you know, they have like topical estrogen creams that help like strengthen the vulva and um, make it so that it's like more the, the the skin has better integrity and it makes it easier to lubricate. So huh. um, there are definitely like things for females. Do you do any work with people who are transitioning? I don't. I haven't had tons of experience with that. No. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not I don't. 
I don't, I don't have tons of experience. I do a little bit of education around that, but I mostly have to lean on my OT peers. Actually, I entirely have to lean on my OT peers that are more of an expert on this to, um, to, to learn from them. Okay. Yeah. What is it like as a single parent trying to, um, this is a question yeah, that somebody yeah. <laughs> gave me. You're not a single parent. I don't <laughs> so think I, I, I can like, be for the yeah, show. Okay. <laughs> I'd like you to play a single parent yeah. with me just for it. Um, is this a role play? <laughs> no. For, so being able to deal with sexual issues, but maybe being in the dating scene, but having to mm-hmm. balance like single parent child care. Yeah. Have you worked with anyone like that oh, who has yeah. like, so what are, what are the things that are different about working with that type of person? I mean, childcare is always like, I mean, I, it reminds I, me of what you said about like, you know, never being able to turn the day off. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say for anyone that has a child, whether that's a, a single parent or, a, you know, a non-single parent, like top five barriers to like being like having sex and being sexual and wanting sex is the child. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, right? It's like sex is what got us into that. Right. Exactly. Um, Then when you're like covered in Mac and cheese and stuff for four hours, yeah, not really like, right. And, um, yeah. And so like, you know, then it's sort of the erotic, like sex helps us have the kids. And then it's like this erotic blow. Yeah. Um, I guess there's two sides too, because there's the, there's, you know, like sex with your partner after now having kids, maybe there's a lot of learning oh, around yeah, that. Yeah. But then also the original question is just yeah. being a single parent. Yeah. Too. It exacerbates the problem. Like it just exacerbates it when you're the one that's, there's, you're the only one that's taking care of the child. And so of course there's like the, the kind of logistical dynamics of, I want to go out on a date. Who's going to watch the kid. Right. Or, or even just like, when do I know I can introduce my partner to my kid? Like, when is that going to be the right time for the kid to like meet, you know, Mr. Ed or like yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Susie. Right. Like, yeah. So like the fifth guy I've met this month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like for, versus like waiting until right. maybe this is going to be a yeah. relationship with my kid. Yeah. But that's just like, that's, it's such a buzzkill, right? It just like, it makes it more complicated of like, even just logistically, like, where are you having sex? If you're having sex at your house, then your kid's probably going to meet. Just funny. Cause you run into that problem as a kid. Too. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Like a teenager. <laughs> Yeah, it's always like where, circle of life. where to have sex. Yeah. Um, and then if you're having sex at their per- the other person's house, then you know you need to have a babysitter. So yeah, that that's certainly so logistically I think it's complicated, but it's I, I often say, you know, if your whole kind of world is revolved around like working and then taking care of your child, like that's a lot of that th- those are very non-erotic things, like child care and the responsibility of being a parent are um, like antithesis of being erotic, right? Like um, a high degree of responsibility takes us farther and farther away from eroticism. And so it just takes longer to transition into that space. It feels like if sex is a place that we go, you know, it it feels like it's farther away. So people just need... um, they need more things to help them transition, right? They and and literally like travel that that distance. Um, so either it's you know just time like away from parenting, whether that's like thirty minutes or 
you know, a night, like a, a, just a break, right? Or like, you know, getting out of like parenting clothes and into like date night clothes, like that can be very helpful. Um, I, I always say like, I, I use the analogy of we live in a very non-erotic world. And there are some people that have roles. I mean, like the military, right? Like that is not, that's a, a very non-erotic role. Like it's high responsibility, very regimented, very structured. Um, and then when you like add parenting on top of that, and then when you add single parenting on top of that, like those are all very like non-erotic reinforcers. And so transitioning then into erotic space, we can't do that on the drop of a dime. It just takes time. Zero to one. It's to... That, yeah. It's not expecting to like be at a 10 out of 10 horniness, but having the kind of curiosity to say, you know, for this like single parent that like goes out on this date and like, you know, she's not like, uh, you know, he or she is not like sort of like revving up. Right. But there's a curiosity of like, hmm, I'm at a one. Like, am I curious to get to a three? Am I curious to to get to a four and and just easing into it? Cool. Yeah. A couple. Well, one just you can determine if you want to answer this or not. <laughs> but uh, I think some people who listen to the chase episode how does a prosthetic penis work? Oh, <laughs> aside um, from just being like a, you know, yeah, like a, like a dildo or whatever. Like, is is there some way to derive pleasure from it? Is mm-hmm. it does it go from flaccid to erect? Like, so not the expert on prosthetic penises. Okay, all right. So <laughs> Sorry. We can, we can go past it. <laughs> no, no, but I I um it's <clears throat> you know, uh, there's you know, you you had actually asked um about people that are that um are transgender. Um and so again, I really don't want to like I, I'm not I'm no expert, but a lot of this is, you know, we we feel really affirmed when our body looks the way that like we want it to. And is in alignment with the way that like we, we feel best in it. And so knowing that like when, when I put on a pair of jeans, knowing that like there's like a bulge in, in like a small bulge, right? Like in my pants, like knowing that people can see that and, and me even just looking in the mirror and seeing that, like that really makes me feel good. You know, like a Ken doll. Yeah. Like exactly. Like that makes me feel good. And that makes me feel like comfortable in my skin and in my body and, and to the world. So it's some of that is image. And then of course, like then when we're naked, like still having that piece of equipment there, you know, the prosthetic penis or the packer, like we just kind of the visual look at it of it, right? Even though we know that it's not ours, just that visual um, can feel good, can be like reaffirming. Um, sometimes like, you know, n- deriving pleasure from it, from a physical like touch sensation, I don't know, I would say no, but from like the visual sensation of it, um, we can derive pleasure from that like in our own brains. Then, of course, there's like, you know, is it being used by the partner? Like, are we like a strap on or, um, you know, like a strap on? Um, and can we then use that like for our partners? Um, absolutely. So now like we're able to use our bodies in a way that like through that penetrative experience, like where like our partners are experiencing penetration and we're experiencing doing it and like 
that can feel really cool and people can really like that if that's what they want to be doing. All right. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that people got the beginning of the episode where we said that Chase was uh, consulting with another Marine who was picking out a prosthetic penis. I <laughs> yeah. Think. And, for, you know, for all I know, Chase still has, you know, a rocking penis, you know, <laughs> I don't want someone to fast forward here in the near. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I think the last two I have written down, I mean, you can keep talking, but kind of go like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about, you know, just imagining like a session that you have with somebody. Is there like hands-on instruction mm. with some kind of like lifeguard this person <laughs> actually wrote lifeguarding <laughs> that goes on oh my god uh and then getting it and then that kind of gets us into kind of like a similar question of like where do you draw your inspiration quote the kama sutra or some other kind of gold standard of yeah. banging <laughs> Wow. I love that. (laughs) However comfortable you are tackling that series of questioning. Okay. So this is so funny because people have like, of course, right? Like some of my, um, some of like the service members down there would like say, like, are you just going to like sit in the corner while I bang my wife and like (laughs) say like, "Mm, um, a little bit to the left, uh, a little bit to the right. Like, and I was like, no, I won't do that. Okay. Good. Um, but some people are probably like, Oh really? No. Yeah. They're like, shit, what am I going to (laughs) do? Um, so what we would do is we would get like on a mat and like people would have clothes on and we would work on positioning like on the mat Mm. if we needed to. Um, I did use a lot of like pictures to show people what I meant. Of course I got the images made to even be more explicit. Um, so get the little like art, uh, when you go to like a arts and crafts store, they have the little wooden, like human that <laughs> yeah, you can yeah yeah oh i definitely have gotten that oh, yeah. i mean i've also drawn stick figures that are like wild mm. um you know i use all those sort of like ways to to educate and then i also had um like teaching models of sex toys that i would which i mean i had sex toys for teaching purposes so people could like look at the sex toys and, and feel around and like see what they would like so I mean, draw the line, like, I never felt, um, no, I mean, I never, it never even, that just never really came up. You know, when people are, like, doing, if they might be, like, doing exercises of, you know, I would, I would talk to people about doing exercises around, like, masturbation and, like, touching themselves and, um, like, learning about their bodies, but, like, we would never really do that, we would never do that in session. It would be more, it would be a lot of, like, talking through what they're going to do once they, like, are at home. Okay. I draw my inspiration from, I mean, just so many sources, right? So, like, when I was, like, getting into this, you know, there's, there was my own norm around sex, right, which was just heavily based in the way that I had sex, and the what sex meant to me. And that's, you know, I had to expand, you know, I had to sort of like blast through that and like expand significantly because, you know, what happens is like, because we're not talking a lot about sex, we sort of like our, our own norm reinforces us. So I draw a lot of inspiration. I just try to be like, you know, I absorb, I, I, I read all sorts of books. Like I can't, I can't suggest like a specific book, but what I would say is like 
find sources that kind of differ from your own experiences and your own backgrounds and like learn about just all the different ways there are to have sex. And I, I think like, you know, the books and the reading article is one thing, but some other, like other things that I've done that I think is great for people to do, whether regardless of like, if you want to get into this in a clinical role, but I just think that's really like, um, you know, the more that we learn about sex, even if it's sex that we're never going to have, I'm never going to have that kind of sex. It teaches me something about the sex that I do have. And so things that I've done is like, I've gone to a, a BDSM or a kink like playhouse. So down in Baltimore, they have a, a kink playhouse that's like a club and a membership. And on once a month, they do like an educational series and they like turn on the lights and they like educate you on how to do kink. And you go around to these different like kiosks and you like practice and like play in the learn kink. Learn how to tie knots. And yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. And like you learn how to tie knots. You learn how like you learn why people enjoy tying knot, like tying people up all the different reasons that people do that. And you just, you learn something like every time. And I've done like a virtual burlesque show put on by, um, you know, people that identified as black and brown queer people out of a burlesque, uh, a burlesque, you know, dance troupe down in Baltimore. So like, it's the, you know, these individuals are like putting on a burlesque show. And I was just like, Hey, that looks cool. And like, you know, and some of it is like, you know, what, what can I learn? Right. You know, different, like, you know, art galleries or host, um, you know, different talks or photography exhibits around sexuality. And I just think like those are, those can be really cool and informative to go to. Well, we have one show question that we asked every guest, but since you weren't yourself in the military, I'm going <laughs> to modify it Yeah, yeah. Uh, for you a little bit. But the question is, who are you today if you never served? But I want to mm. ask you, who are you today, personally and professionally, if you had never got that job at Walter Reed? Um, um, wow. That's, that's a, that's a wild question. I mean, that job at Walter Reed was like, you know, really just, I think everything totally took a 180. Um, and I think what's really, what I think about a lot is like when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, like I never, this was never a part of the goal, right? Like never in a million years did I think that I would be like, have, have my own private practice where I was just like centering or focusing on sex counseling. Um, and I think it's like, you know, certainly, um, a different route. But I also think, you know, working at Walter Reed was a very like different route and very radical kind of di different experience. Um, and so I, I really have no idea. I can't even like think about what it, what it would look like. It, it makes me feel like knowing what I have now, like and everything that I, I learned at Walter Reed, even just like, you know, just the, the sort of like values and perspectives that I learned at Walter Reed. Yeah, I would be probably maybe just someone that like wasn't so much in the know and like I don't I don't think I'd be as like broad a thinker and wouldn't challenge the status quo as much as I have and yeah I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about your private practice now mm. much. So you want to talk about yeah so when when you yeah switched over to private practice and what you're doing now and what your goals are. Yeah, so I um really, um, 
you know, like, like I, like I shared in, in like my experiences, um, you know, working with the military really empowered this career of, of going this career path. And that was just like really, really cool. And it was always like, I knew that I was going to leave Wall Street Reed someday. And like, I, I always knew that that was, um, that was going to be it. And I was going to continue to like pursue this passion, but I didn't really, I, you know, I didn't really know what that would look like or when the time was to come. And it, you know, it just so happened to be about a year ago. And I was very excited to be, be my own boss and have, make my own schedule and try, try to do some entrepreneurial efforts with the education company. And so since then, yeah, I've been building my private practice and seeing clients that are coming to me specifically for sex and intimacy. So actually like some goals around that, of course, are building the private practice more and growing that, but getting back and doing more things with the military. So I've done a few workshops with like the Yellow Ribbon Foundation. And ideally, I would love to kind of circle fully back and establish training, you know, with this training experience that I have with my education company, establish training for the DOD and establish like help um, stand up clinics in other MTFs and other perhaps VA clinics. So I think that's definitely a career goal of mine is helping, um, you know, to scale the, the programming that was at Walter Reed to other MTFs and VAs. And how's your own transition been from, you know, working <laughs> yeah. at, in, at a uh, medical training facility, um, military, military treatment facility, treatment, okay. yeah. to being an entrepreneur and, and getting out? It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been like, I mean, it's hard, right? Like the, it, it's really hard, um, but yeah. that's okay, you know? Okay. And it's it, sometimes like, it's all like a hypothesis. It's hit or miss sometimes, but okay. it's been really fun just to have that flexibility of like, you know, I, I my personality um, can be like, I, I, I actually work best, um, you know, when kind of like left to my own devices. So it's nice to have that freedom to kind of flourish within that and, and have the flexibility to be, you know, my own boss and pick my own hours. And yeah, it's just, it's just been great. And it's excited to, it's exciting. You know, I'm like cautiously optimistic for my first year in business, but it's cool to see something actually come to fruition. That's been a goal for a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have any topics that we haven't covered? <laughs> I think we are, are, I think we are good to go. If people have more questions, like after the show, I'm happy to answer them and okay, yeah, get back to your followers on that. So how do people uh, see what you're up to engage with yeah. you or, or take a look at your business or your work? So they can find me on Instagram and I have a website as well. I do, you know, if people want to follow me or if people are even interested in like chatting about like what's going on with them. I'm, I'm happy to chat and talk to them and see how I can help too. So yeah, I can give you my, my Instagram and website. Yeah. We'll link it in the episode, cool. but what is it? Oh, what are you like? <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely write it down and promote it, but <laughs> we'll have it on the audio track. Well, what too. if someone's like having sex right now and they don't have a pen and paper to write it down? You know, I never thought about how many people have sex to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure it's, <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe I can maybe. do some guided. <laughs> Look, Matt, maybe I have. All right. <laughs> uh, well, who knows? Um, okay. We could collaborate. Yeah. Do a guided uh, podcast experience. Yes. I would love that. A guided meditation. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, cool. That's what I need to be doing right now. <laughs> Guided sexual meditation podcast. Yeah. I mean, you have Here's a, a yeah. <laughs> Ben's not with us, but when he hears this, we're going to have to talk strategy. <laughs> Look, you have here. a good voice for it. I would <laughs> okay. write it, but you're saying it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have the listeners vote on a yeah. bonus episode. Or Who has the better voice? <laughs> Um, okay, website is uh, com. so that's dr Catherine Ellis, and then the Instagram is uh, dr underscore Kate, so K A T E S. People can call me Catherine, they can call me Kate. Uh, Kate's is like my that's my real that's my real name. Okay. Um, <laughs> so if someone calls you, they, you know yeah. you, they didn't look you up. <laughs> yeah, Catherine is my stage name. Okay, <laughs> that's my. That's my stage name. And then they can also follow me. My other Instagram for my education company is Sex Intimacy OT, which is probably easier to find. And then they can find Dr. Kate's through that. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, thanks for being on. Of course. Yeah. Uh, you're so much better in person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is the first time I've set foot in Delaware. I've always had two or four tires under me in Delaware. <laughs> Most people are from the East Coast, but yeah. Welcome to Delaware. <laughs> yeah. It's like I hear the Google Maps say, welcome to Delaware. Five minutes later, welcome to Maryland. Yeah, yeah. See you, Delaware. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now, a podcast about life after service. Be on the lookout for Dr. Kate's advancing the field of occupational therapy, helping practitioners and patients alike. Please check out her websites, uh, drkatherineellis.com, sexintimacyot.com. You can check out her Instagram accounts, sexintimacyot or dr underscore kates. And if you have time, check out her book on Amazon. All of these links are in our RSS feed. Uh, so check out the show notes and your podcast player. You know what? Go ahead and interact with her on social and send us some feedback on the website or our social media channels. Um, let us know if you want to have her back in the future. If there's enough interest, follow-ups, more questions, we'd love to have her back. Uh, we enjoyed the topic. We had a lot of fun, and we hope you enjoy it too. As always, thanks for listening to us. Please subscribe, rate, review, follow, and join us next time on Thank You Know What.